Welcome to another Contemplate episode with Pastor David Robinson from Acts Church in Vancouver, Washington. We'll pick up in Acts chapter 22, verse 25 today, and see Paul begin his defense before the religious leaders. And once again, there's a lot for us to learn. Here's Pastor David. If you remember last time, Paul and his companions had made it to Jerusalem. Paul had gone, uh, purified himself and gone to the temple, was trying to uh, make the Jewish folks not get angry with him as they tended to do. Um, And yet they did get angry with him. They sort of arrested him. They accused him of, look, this is the guy who teaches everybody everywhere against the temple and against our, you know, our traditions and so on. And he brought a Gentile, he's brought Gentiles into the temple which was punishable by death. And so they arrested, uh, sort of, they sort of mob-violenced him, mob-violence styles, that's with a Z, if you were wondering, um, and started to beat him, okay? So they're beating him down, and the commander of the garrison comes, and he comes to, uh, to where Paul is, and he sort of rescues slash arrests him, okay? So he takes him, he takes him back to uh, the, the garrison where they were, um, and, he's, and he tries to find out kind of, what Paul's deal is, and Paul decides, as he often does, that he's going to basically preach. And so he starts to talk to the people, and he gives them this whole uh, speech, this whole sermon, and at the end of it, he mentions that Jesus has sent him to the Gentiles. As soon as he mentions that, these guys lose it. They lose their minds, right? They start tearing their clothes, throwing dust in the air, kind of like if you've ever imagined, um, if you've ever seen a baseball game where, where a coach gets really mad at the umpire and starts doing this thing where he puts the dust going up, I just imagine it looking kind of like that. That's what, that's what they're doing, right? They're, they're, they're picking up dust. They're throwing it in the air. They're very upset, okay? And so the commander has to bring Paul inside. Um, and then when he brings him inside, he says, look, guys, let's, let's scourge this guy and get the truth out of him. Let's get out of him why these people are so mad because, he, because the commander hadn't been able to discern why these people were so angry with Paul. And so that's where we stopped last time. We're going to get to verse 25. In chapter 22, that's where we'll start today. So if you have your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Is it, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? So Paul is using his Roman citizenship to get out of this situation, which is pretty smart. Um, it's actually illegal for them to beat Paul and torture him this way as a Roman citizen. And we've actually seen Paul do this before, where they put him in jail, and he said, are you, they told him to leave, and he said, oh, you mean you beat us in public, and now you want us to just leave, but we're Roman citizens, and they made him come and get him from the jail. You may remember that if you've been here for a while, um, but that's what he does here. Let's look at what happens, 26 through 29. It says, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, To Paul, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The commander answered, with a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Okay? Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman because he had bound him. All right. So the Romans are tripping out a little bit because you can't do this. You can't arrest a guy, strap him up, and scourge him if he's a Roman citizen. Roman citizenship had a number of benefits that came along with it, like voting and not being able to be scourged and tortured in this way. And so once they found this out, they're, they're worried because they could get in huge trouble for beating the Roman citizen this way. And he comes and he asks him, are you a citizen? Paul says, yes. And my guess is Paul's not looking like he's a super rich guy. 
And this guy says, look, I bought my citizenship with a lot of money. And this is the way at a certain period around Emperor Claudius, people were bribing their way, paying their way into Roman citizenship because it had a lot of benefits. And this guy had paid a lot of money. Actually, historically, it suggested that not too long after this guy probably bought his citizenship for a lot of money, it started getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. One historian says that if you gave the right person some broken bits of glass, you could get a Roman citizenship at some point. And at another point, it was just given to everybody. Um, But at the time that this guy came, it cost a lot of money. You had to spend a lot of money to become a Roman citizen, and it was worth it. It was worth it. And so it was a valuable thing. Um, And so because Paul had these rights, they had to stop. But the commander still needed to know why this mob was trying to kill Paul. He had to know that, but he couldn't get it from torture. So he had to find another way. Let's look at verse 2230. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So the leadership of the Jewish people gets together here. They get them all together. This is the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. We've talked about these folks before. The chief priests, the 70, these guys are the leaders of the people, of the Jewish people. They're the religious leaders. Okay, We, we, we talked about who they were, um, and, and this is... Uh, a different set of Sanhedrin probably than the one that we read about before. Remember, Peter and Paul had been in front of the Sanhedrin some years back. And when I say some years back, I mean for them. I know for us it was probably some years back that I talked about that also. Uh, but it was, it was probably 25 years ago that they had been there. So the Sanhedrin has probably switched a lot of the people that were in it by this point. And the commander of the garrison is not giving these guys uh, the, the right to try Paul to try him and, and give him a punishment. That, he's a Roman citizen, so that's going to happen in a Roman court. But he needs to know what they're actually accusing him of. So he's got him set there, and, and Paul, of course, as you know, whenever he gets set in front of a bunch of people, what's he going to do? He's going to speak, right? He's going to preach. So he gets started. 23 verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now Paul is not saying... I've lived in all good conscience my whole life. I've never done anything wrong. That's not the point that he's making here. What he's saying is the things that these guys have accused him of, right, causing a ruckus all over the world, maybe bringing a a Gentile into the temple, that he hasn't done these things, that in these places where he went, he was simply preaching Jesus. He was not trying to cause that kind of, he was trying to cause a stir about Jesus that people might get saved. He was not trying to cause the kind of ruckus that these guys have caused. And remember, these are uh, Jews from Asia that had come, that were in the temple that had accused him. So he's speaking to these accusations that he's caused all this trouble. Well, he hasn't caused all this trouble on his own right? As we've read many of the stories, it wasn't him that was causing the trouble. It was these other people. So he's saying, my conscience is clear about my behavior in following Christ and the things that I've done. Let's see how they react to that. Verse 2, it says, and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth. So that escalated quickly. He barely got a sentence out. And this guy says, hey, smack him on the mouth. Smack him on the mouth. Don't let him talk that way. All he had said is he was in good conscience. And this guy tells him to smack him on the mouth. This guy's very unhappy with Paul, obviously, to start with. And he's not liking the way this sermon is starting. So he smacks him on the mouth. And Paul hasn't been convicted of anything. So this punishment of hitting him is, of course, illegal. It's wrong for the high priest to do this. And Paul actually talks to him about that. Next verse. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? 
So Paul, even though he's in lots of trouble, isn't afraid to speak back here when this guy does something completely hypocritical. And Paul is, when he calls him a whitewashed wall, he's actually bringing something back from the book of Ezekiel, where we see the prophet talk about this. In Ezekiel 13, 10b through 16, it says, when someone builds a wall, they coat it with whitewash. Tell those who coat it with whitewash that it will fall. It will be washed off by the rain. Great hailstones will fall, and a stormy wind will strip it off. Look, when the wall collapses, won't it be said of you, where's the coat of paint that you spread all over the wall? Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. In my burning anger, I'll rip it open with a windstorm. In my anger, I'll rinse it off with rain and put an end to it with a hailstorm in my destructive rage. I'll tear down the wall that you smeared with whitewash, level it to the ground, and tear it as foundation. Then it will collapse, and you'll perish with it. Then you'll know that I am the Lord." That's how I'll vent my anger on the wall and on the ones who coated it with whitewash. And I'll say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who coated it. The prophets of Israel prophesied about Jerusalem and saw visions of peace concerning her. Yet there's no peace, declares the Lord God. So basically what happens is sometimes you'll make a wall. For those of you who are, who are in construction or have done some construction, uh, you know there's a way to do it, and then there's a way to do it fast. A way to do it and a way to do it cheap. And so you, they could make this wall, and it could not have a good foundation. It could not be in good shape. But then you can slap some, some nice paint on it so that from the outside, it looks good, right? But on the inside, it's, it's going to crumble. And God's saying, I'm going to tear that down. That whitewash is going to mean nothing. You're doing that to look good. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, look, you hypocrite. You're saying that you're here. You're representing the law. You're saying that, that I've broken the law and that you're going you're gonna to judge me according to the law. You have accusations to make against me, but as soon as I start talking, you break the law yourself. You're a hypocrite, right? There's nothing behind you. Jesus had something similar to say to the scribes and the Pharisees uh, during his ministry. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. That's in Matthew 23. This is not Paul being nice. This is not Paul trying to make friends and making sure he doesn't offend anybody. What he says here is a hard thing. He says a hard thing to the high priest, okay? Um, and, and it's important that he does because he's got to call this guy out for his hypocrisy. Let's look at the next couple of verses, four and five. And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, Paul brings some scripture from Exodus about not speaking evil of a ruler, okay? The interesting question is, why didn't Paul know who the high priest was? And there's a couple reasons why this might be, okay? There's a bunch of people have all kinds of theories about this. One of the things is Paul hasn't been in Jerusalem much over the last 25 years. He's mostly been away, so he may not know if, the, if, if offices were changing and so on, who the high priest was at that time. Maybe he's not sitting in the right chair or whatever. There's also a lot of people think that Paul had some serious vision problems, eye problems, okay? They didn't have bifocals back then, um, and, and there's some suggestion that Paul may have had uh, some, a disease that affected his eyes, and so maybe he just literally couldn't see who it was who said it. Um, there are a few other things, but either way, he didn't know that it was the high priest, so when he got upset, he must have thought it was somebody else, and he does sort of mea culpa. Hey, you know, it does say I shouldn't say that. He didn't say, I'm sorry, he did just quote the scripture that you're not supposed to do that, and they didn't know it was the high priest. So let's look at what happens. He's sitting here, and I think the Holy Spirit gives him some wisdom. Verses 6 through 9. But when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, 
he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So Paul sees that there's a division in groups, a division of these guys who think different things. And he makes this statement that's true, it's true, but it was also likely to cause division between them. This is like Gandalf and the trolls, right? If I can get them fighting, it's less likely that I'm going to be brought into this. Gosh, I feel like such a nerd every time I say that. Anyway, it is like that, though. Paul still considers himself to be a Pharisee. That's true, which is to say that school of thought is the one that he was brought up, and the difference for him is he now follows Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but he did come up in the Pharisee. So wasn't, he wasn't lying. He didn't say, I used to be a Pharisee. I am a Pharisee. I'm still, I'm, I'm cool with this school of thought that's come up. Although I would, I would do it a little different than y'all are doing it. I'm still a Pharisee. Um, and then he claims, hey, look, it's for believing in the resurrection of the dead that I'm, that I'm in front of these people today. That's, that's the issue. Um, of course, their claim is that he's on trial for causing trouble all over the world. Their claim is that he's on trial for bringing a Gentile or Gentiles into the temple. And his claim is he's in there for preaching the resurrection of the dead. But really, he is, right? Because he's preaching Jesus Christ. He's preaching Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He's preaching that people can live after they're dead because Jesus Christ was the firstborn from the dead, that we can be forgiven from our sins, and that Jesus' resurrection is proof that he was God. These are big claims, right? And these guys don't like those claims. Those are not part of their tradition in their mind. They don't like those claims, but that's what Paul is claiming. So really, in a real way, he is on trial because of his belief in the resurrection of the dead. So he wasn't really lying or deceiving anybody. He's saying something that's true, but also happened to cause some dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Basically, when Paul says he's a Pharisee and he's being accused for uh, the resurrection of the dead, that room splits just like that, and they start going at each other, right? Um, he, he gets that mob mentality sort of back. Um, the Pharisees are all of a sudden like, well, this guy seems okay to us. He said he's one of us. He said he believes in the resurrection of the dead, so we're kind of cool with that. Of course, the Sadducees are still, are still saying, no, 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 he's a bad guy. Um, and the Pharisees are like, oh, well, if an angel or a spirit talked to him, then, then you know, who are we to say anything? But that's not what Paul had said. If you remember last week, the sermon that Paul had given the day before to the people was that Jesus, the risen Messiah, had spoken to him, okay? The physically resurrected Jesus Christ had spoken to him, not an angel or spirit. See, there were, the Pharisees are willing to, well, maybe it's angel or spirit, and then we can deal with it because at least he's on our side on this issue. The, the, you know, it's kind of one of these, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, that's kind of where the Pharisees are on this. You know, if we're going to get into this issue that us and them fight about all the time, you know, at least this guy's on our side of that. And so we'll sort of forget about this other stuff for now. Um, but of course, they weren't really, they, it wouldn't have lasted. As soon as Paul said, no, 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 not angel or spirit, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, they would have turned on him again in a heartbeat. Okay? So uh, let's look at the, the last verse we're going to look at today. Verse 10. Now, when there arose a great dissension... The commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. So this got real. 
You, you literally, I, I, you almost see like, okay, you got the Pharisees on this side and they're kind of pulling on Paul and you got the Sadducees and they're kind of pulling on Paul or at least at some level there's some real uh, you know, violence uh, of anger and so on going on that they have to literally by force go and get Paul and bring him back. That's the level of how upset these guys were with one another. You don't mess with these guys' traditions or they get very, very, very upset. And so the commander puts Paul back in jail, and that's, that's where we'll stop uh, for, the, for this part of the Scripture. Let's, let's work through it a little bit. Let's, let's flesh it out a little bit. Sometimes when we read uh, history, Christian history in a text like this, we tend to put ourselves in the shoes of the Christ follower, which would make sense because hopefully we're all Christ followers here. If not, We'll talk about that afterwards. Um, in this case, Paul is a Christ follower. Whenever we read story of any kind, whether it's historical or fictional or whatever, we tend to sort of, uh, we cathart with the protagonist, right? The hero. That's who, that's who we're with in the story. Most of us, most of the time, right? That's who we're sort of following. That's where our emotions are going up and down with whoever the person who's sort of the protagonist of the story is in this case, Paul. So we sort of put ourselves in Paul's shoes, but sometimes we shouldn't do that. Sometimes we should look at the story a little closer and see uh, who we might really be in the story. Because I want you to remember something. It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are the religious leaders of the day. They're the most religious people of the day. They're claiming to be religious. They're claiming to follow God. And so we got to ask ourselves, who are we more like? Like Paul or like the Pharisees? And that's not something you ask yourself once. It's something you ask yourself often, often. For a number of reasons, I want you to think through this. Jesus was prophesied in the Torah, okay? Clearly prophesied in the Torah, which was the only scripture that the Sadducees believed was actually scripture, okay? Jesus was prophesied about plenty there, okay? He was also prophesied all throughout the rest of the Old Testament by these prophets, which the Pharisees believed in all of all the Old Testament. He was prophesied clearly. And the Pharisees said, I believe in these guys, these prophets. So when Jesus was ministering, He's constantly getting into it with the Sadducees and the Pharisees about their traditions, about the way that they treat the people, about the way that they look at the law, right? And, and, and neither of them, as a group, as a group, neither of them liked Jesus. They didn't like him at all. And here Paul is facing the Sanhedrin because he's preaching Jesus. Now, at this, at this time in history, Jesus was there just a couple, a few decades ago, preaching, and these guys directly rejected Jesus, but they believed in the Scripture. Now, I want you to follow me here. I want you to think about this. If the prophets of the Old Testament had been there in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus came and had his ministry, they would have been Christians. They would have been Christ followers. They would have recognized him immediately, right? They were speaking about him. They were speaking for God. They would have recognized him immediately. These were the people who were the teachers of Israel, which is to say the scripture, those guys would have recognized Jesus as the Messiah. These guys, these Pharisees and Sadducees claimed to follow God, and they claimed to follow him as revealed by the prophets in scripture in the Old Testament, but yet they rejected and killed Jesus and persecuted those who followed Jesus but yet they said that they believed all these guys. Now, now, here's the thing. Is it possible that they started interpreting the Scripture? They started interpreting the Old Testament and the prophets kind of in their own image? Is it possible that they got lost? And is it possible they ignored what they didn't like, focused on what they did like? Is it possible they started interpreting the Scripture to create a, a religion that helped them to be comfortable? It's possible, right? We have people all over the world today, 
all over the world who claim to follow Jesus. They claim to follow Christ. Just like these guys claim to follow the prophets. And everybody believed that they did. Everybody believed that they did. That was their, that was, these were the religious leaders. We have all these people all over the world that now claim to follow Jesus, but if Jesus showed up, would we recognize him? If he came preaching like he preaches, would we recognize him? All I'm saying is maybe we're not always Paul in this story. Maybe sometimes we're whitewashed walls. Maybe sometimes we're whitewashed walls. It's so important to follow the truth from God's Word in the Bible and not allow ourselves to change any part of that truth into something more comfortable for us. And our prayer is that these podcasts are helping you do exactly that. And if you'd like more, come hear Pastor David in person this Sunday morning. Get easy directions, service times, and all the info you need at axchurchnw.org. Hope to meet you this Sunday. And I hope you'll be right here with us next time for more great truth from God's Word here on Contemplate. Contemplate.